You're listening to Second Stories, created and produced by Second Story with me, Abigail Brocker, as your host. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia, working to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. We help homeless youth and youth in crisis step away from their first story, one often marked by abuse, hardship, and crisis, and write their own second story, full of hope and promise. This season, we're bringing you something new, topical episodes about challenges faced by some of the individuals you're hearing this season. Each of these episodes will look at one of the stories from the season and dig into the challenge that stood out the most. Things like domestic abuse, PTSD, or family crises. We'll put this challenge into its broader context and ask some big questions. What does this issue look like in our community? What does it look like for a young person to experience it? And how does it play into their bigger life story? We've already been taking some of these abstract concepts and putting them in a personal context through these stories. But now we want to take these stories and place them back into a larger picture. Because, of course, there are more individuals in our community forced to choose between a place to stay or an abusive partner. There are young people experiencing homelessness. There are young people struggling with PTSD. And it's important that we understand why and how these issues play out in their lives. Each episode will feature a panel, me as host, a Second Story staff person with experience working with the issue we're discussing, and a person whose story you've already heard on the podcast. Together, we'll talk about the issues and we'll keep it grounded in actual experiences and actual stories. The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence reports that 10 million people a year are physically abused by an intimate partner, and young women between the ages of 18 and 24 are the most common victims. One of these young women is Bree, who we heard from in the last episode. Before we go on, if you haven't listened to Bree's episode yet, you should definitely do that now. Our conversation will make a lot more sense and feel more significant if you first know her story, and we'll be referencing it throughout the entire episode. Angel, our program manager for Second Story for Young Mothers and one of Bree's most important supporters during her time in the program, will be sharing some more information about how abuse affects specifically young women in their greater circle, their futures, dreams, children, and mental health, while Bree will be reflecting on how some of the broader stats and facts feel personal for her. Here are Bree and Angel. Bree and Angel, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Bree, thanks for talking with us again for another episode and digging a little bit more into some of the things we heard about in your story. Angel, thanks for taking some time and educating all of us on things that you see every day. Um, And I'm excited that we get to get you guys back together because I know that you both know each other and you work together. Bree, we heard you speak a little bit to your relationship with Angel and your story. So I want to kick off with asking Angel just an introductory question. Angel, can you just start off by telling us about domestic abuse um, and the kind of forms it can take on? I mean, I think we're all pretty familiar with this concept, but um, perhaps it's a little bit bigger than we often think about it as being. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about that and introduce us to what we're really talking about generally when we talk about domestic abuse. 
Sure. So I think what people think of mostly when they hear domestic violence or abuse is physical, um, whether that's, you know, being beaten up or things like that. Uh, but there are a lot of other types of abuse, I would say emotional, uh, psychological, uh, even uh, financial, which is a little bit harder for people to detect because that could take the form of not allowing someone to uh, work or further their education. Um, and depending on how charismatic they are, they could make it as wanting to take care of that person versus controlling their ability to work or go to school. Um, I would also say that sexual abuse as well as physical. Um, I think that a lot of forms of abuse are very slow in the beginning, um, whether that is they're very charming and sweet and protective in the beginning. Um, and then it could be that there's only one incident where abuse happens and it never happens again. Um, or it could be, like I said, slow building where they've gained the trust um, of that person and they've built a relationship um, and then they're able to kind of control um, and keep them in that relationship, depending on um, if they've isolated them from family members and support. Um, or like I said, the financial part where they're not able to support themselves without that person. So they become dependent on their abuser. Hmm. So maybe Brie, you can bring that into context for your experience. Do you feel, I mean, we heard about the physical abuse that you experienced. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it was broader than that for you? Yes, absolutely. Um, as um, a Angel mentioned um, in the beginning, he was really sweet um, and very charming, charismatic. Um, and um, I trusted him so much so that um, I left um, my mom and went to go live with him because I felt secure. He loved me. I finally felt like someone heard me when I spoke and um, was there for me, protected me, someone I could call and rely on. And I didn't have that um, in my childhood. Um, so we moved in together and slowly he just um, started cutting people out of my life. The friends that I had in high school, he it just surprised me that he said that he didn't think they were good for me. He didn't like it when I was hanging out with them. So most of the time, if we would go um, out, it would just be me or him. Or if I would um, try to hang out with my friends on my own, he would constantly call, see what we're up to, what are we doing. It was just always checking in on me if I wasn't with him. Um, uh, and I think financially as well, um, I just, I used to be a server and um, I would keep, because I would go home with tons of cash, I would keep it in my clothing and oftentimes I would find money was missing. Um, and Marcel would make up stories about how he wasn't getting enough hours. His manager was being complete jerk. Um, they promised him a promotion. He just needs um, money that if I could lend him some money and it'll be better. Um, and it wasn't. He could, couldn't keep a job most of the time. And um, I I wanted to go to school. Um, one of the things he would say to me was, I don't, I don't want you to go to college because then you'll find someone who's more educated than me and you'll leave me for that person. He just didn't support me trying to 
be better and improve my life situation. He just wanted me to stay right where I was so he could always control me. Yeah, it sounds like there was a lot more than just the physical. Do you, Angel, do you think that that, do you see that a lot more often that if someone's abusive in one way, it's more often in many ways than one? Yes. So I would say definitely usually emotional abuse is mixed in there because um, the way that most, you know, abusers work is to kind of break, you know, that person down little by little over time, Um, whether that is making them feel that that person needs them, like no one else will be there for them, Um, isolating them, like I said, and like Brie kind of talked about, kind of reinforces that, right? If you've if the abuser has kind of taken away all your support systems, then really you don't feel like you have anyone else besides that person. Um, And then just kind of playing with their emotionally and psychologically, a lot of abusers will make that person feel like it's their fault, right? You hear a lot of those stories like, oh, you made me angry. That's why I had to hit you. Or you did this. And that's why this is the outcome. If you were better, then everything would be better for us. Um, So I definitely think there's usually a mixture of it. um, And I think people don't always realize that there are those other aspects of domestic violence besides the physical. Interesting. There's definitely a misperception of, oh, if this kind of thing is happening to you, why don't you just leave? Um, I think people can think really matter-of-factly in that way, but Brie, we've heard from you, it's a lot more complicated than that. Angel, maybe from a more... Um, objective perspective. Why do you see young women staying with abusive partners? I would say people stay for a lot of different reasons. And I think that the longer someone is with their abuser, the harder it is for them to leave. Kind of like Bree said, if you've built that trust with that person, they make you feel safe and loved and cared for. And then the abuse starts to creep up on you, um, you're more likely to want to try to make that work. Uh, Also, if you've broken bonds with support systems, um, then an other aspect could be like if you're ashamed or you don't want what they told you to be correct, so you might stay for those reasons. Uh, But the bigger things I would say, especially if children are involved, is wanting to raise your child in a family. Especially if they if they have come from a broken family, that is a huge part of what they want for their lives is not to have their children experience what they did. So I think wanting to have an intact family, wanting their child to have, you know, a father or mother, whoever the abuser is, to be in their life, that is a big piece. I would say financially, if they're not able to support themselves or their children, abusers can use that. Um, whether they use that and saying like, you know, you won't be able to raise our child if you're by yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could take that child away from you or they just might enter homelessness or something like that. That is very hard reason to leave. Um, I think uh, also there is a kind of a cycle of violence when it comes to abuse as well. You know, a lot of victims always say, you know, they come from unstable households or they didn't feel loved and supported. So when there's that, it also in terms leads to some like low confidence. They're really seeking love. And then if someone provides that to them, it's hard for them 
then to say, oh, this is also someone that's not good for me. Yeah. The other thing I think is interesting, there's this definite connection between homelessness and abuse. Um, And I know that there are some young women who feel like part of the reason they stay with an abusive partner, which this is related to what Angel just said too, but part of the reason they stay with an abusive partner is because it's either staying in an unsafe situation or becoming homeless and not having a place for themselves and their child to go. Was that ever something you considered? I know that you had more financial stability than Marcel, but did you ever think about that? Yes. Um, I was, well, I was 19 at the time when I was pregnant and um, um, I didn't really have a good relationship with my mom. Um, I was, it was really depressive. <laughs> my childhood um, at home, a typical everyday would, be my brother um I came my brother is older than me he's 10 years older than me but he struggled with substance abuse he would um smoke marijuana he would be doing crack in the kitchen and he would drink until he passed out so oftentimes I'd come home and he's passed it on the floor I would hide myself in my room just to stay out of the line of fire because it's such a bad environment and I when I turned 18 and I was done with high school I wanted to leave um, so when I met Marcel, um, everything seemed very happy and loving. We, um, found a, a bedroom to rent out. Um, and when he had the first time that he physically abused me, um, I, I didn't know where to go. I called a friend of mine, um, and she obviously, you know, she's a teen as well, doesn't own her own place. So she had to sneak me into the house while her mom was sleeping. And I had to like quickly sneak out before her mom got up for work. Um, so that was a challenge of just not having anywhere to stay and not having a good relationship with my mom. Cause she's, she's always been very critical of me. And if I just came to her and told her what happened, I felt like her response would be, I told you so, you should have never done this. It's, and that just wasn't really helpful. So I didn't feel like I could go to her. Mm. Yeah, so that is something that resonates with you. Bri, this is something else we talked about, um, and I'm interested to hear the broader perspective on it. How, Angel, do you see abuse affecting a young woman long term, even after she has found a safe situation? Maybe in Bree's case, she's created a stable, loving family. I mean, this isn't like Brie, we talked about, this isn't something you just forget. Um, how does that last? So I think it definitely affects your confidence level and your sense of worth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you found someone who showed you that they loved you and then the abuse started, a lot of times, um, victims can feel like it is their fault um, or that they should have, you know, cleaned the house better or, you know, done something else that would have made this not happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I think it affects like how they make decisions. Like, so if they're always told they can't do anything or no one else would love them, they're not going to make it in life. That might also just, you know, affect their decisions on, you know, can they further their education or will they go back to work Um, or do they feel confident in being able to do those things? Uh, They also may second guess themselves a lot. Um, I think it takes time and just wraparound services to be able to kind of heal each part 
um, that the abuse has kind of just, like I said, whittled down after over time. And if it's someone who's experienced, you know, like Brie kind of talked about, you've experienced a traumatic childhood, um, that's just, you know, year, more years packed on top of that. Um, so you're dealing with a lot of traumatic experiences that you need to work on to kind of get back to you know, loving yourself and feeling confident and self-sufficient enough to kind of move forward. Yeah. And Brie, I know we talked about that. Like I said earlier, you are doing well now, but this isn't the kind of thing that you just forget. You know, this is something that you still think about and struggle with. Yeah. Um, I also know, Brie, you talked about your daughter a little bit. Um, Angel, how can something like this, like even if a partner or another person isn't abusing the child, how can the entire family be impacted by something like this? So there's a lot of research now coming out that the younger the child is when a traumatic experience happens, the more they are affected. Mm -hmm. So they thought before that the older the kid was to remember that instance, it would affect them more. But now they're, they're seeing that, you know, even babies are affected from witnessing or being around abuse. Um, and a big part of that is because they don't know how to process it or understand what is going on. Um, so it can come out in just, you know, their confusion about how to handle things. Like, is it normal if I'm upset to yell and throw things or hit people? Um, is it normal to treat, you know, this gender in a certain way? Because that's, you know, my mom or dad was treated that way. Um, I think also they just have a lot of pent up anger because they don't understand how to express those feelings about what they have witnessed. Um, I think there are a lot of good resources out there and right now. I mean, DVAC is one of them where they will work with the kids um, to kind of try to work through those things. Um, but it also affects, you know, outside people as well in regards to the family. Um, if they feel like that was a, you know, unhealthy relationship or unhealthy for the child to be present that could bring a lot of tension within like extended family. Um, so then they might kind of pull away as supports. Um, so that just makes it harder for the victim and especially that child. Yeah, that's interesting because Brie, you kind of said you were worried that your mom maybe would have said just like I told you so and not have been supportive. I hadn't really thought about that. Also, I know you mentioned that this played a role in um, Myra's life a little bit. Are you comfortable yeah. talking about that? Yes, um, sure. Uh, when she was nine months, when she started childcare, she was dismissed on the first day for hitting another child. Um, that was really embarrassing for me. And I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I know where that comes from. We uh, we lived in a one bedroom, so she sees everything from her crib. She hears everything. Um, and also just when she would play with her Barbies, it was just like fighting games. She'd make them hit each other. Um, yeah, it was just not normal behavior. And I, yeah, I could see how it was affecting her as well. When she would interact with people, she would hit them mm -hmm. in the face. And I'm sure that's hard for you as a parent. That's another level of, of hard when you see that this isn't only affecting you, but it's affecting your child. Yeah. Brie, you had so many people and organizations in your journey that helped you through this. 
I know one of them was Second Story, so maybe Angel, you can talk a little bit about how Second Story not just works with young mothers, but specifically young mothers who have experienced abuse, but also maybe just give a shout out to a couple other organizations. Like I know Bree, uh, you worked with Artemis House. There's a bigger network in our community of people who are doing this together and we're talking to each other and referring to each other and things like that too. Um, so specifically with Second Story for Young Mothers, I think our agency does a really good job about being trauma-informed. Um, so we understand regardless of where they've come from, um, you know, domestic violence or not, they have have experienced some kind of trauma. I mean, being homeless or being a first-time mom is just a hard thing to do in general. Um, so I think that we are doing really well providing those wraparound services. By providing counseling, um, they meet with a case manager to work on goals. And I think especially for someone who is just trying to survive or escape abuse or find stability, the thought about you know furthering their education or getting a job that they can support themselves aren't at the forefront of their minds. Or if it is, they don't even know what the next step would be to kind of move in that direction. Um, so I think that case management is a really good part. Um, they work on everything, you know, from finances, you know, benefits, going back to school or getting a better job uh, with certificates or going back to school. Um, and just in general, providing a safe, stable place with people who are in your corner, right? That are gonna help you regardless of your situation or how you're doing that day or what mood you're in, like we're here to help. Um, so I think that stability is, is the main starting point and then kind of working on all aspects of your life, not just one thing. Um, Cause like we talked about when you experience these traumatic events like domestic violence, it's going, it's not going to just disappear because now you're safely housed. There's all kinds of layers um, that you kind of have to work with. Um, but yeah, Artemis House is a really good uh, resource for DV, especially. Um, I think that most of the organizations in Fairfax County are trauma-informed. So I think just having that as a priority for these agencies is a big deal because we're not looking, oh, like this person is being difficult about these things. It's they're being difficult. What is the reason for those things? Like, how can we get to the main source and how can we help them? Um, so I think that is really beneficial for, you know, all of the clients that we serve. If you think back on the process going from being in an unsafe situation with your ex-husband to now doing very well, um, having a, a family that is very different from the situation you were in before. Can you identify any people or moments or experiences that you felt were just really imperative to helping you grow to the place where you are now? Um, I would say um, first when I was in Artemis House going through counseling, it was really helpful to share what was going on in my mind, just the thoughts or certain experiences and having someone break it down for me and help me understand this information um, was really helpful. Also continuing counseling with Susie when I was in second story, um, every week we would meet. It was just, that's awesome service. It's something that I would 
just don't have access to and having that for free was really great and super helpful in helping me to be to gain confidence be stronger um help me to process my thoughts um and feelings um and um case management i it was really surprising angel just said um that your primary goal when you are in domestic violence situation is you just want to be safe and once you're out of there it could be like phew this is better and not thinking about what's ahead so it definitely was super helpful to have goals like well we could go to school let's let's help you find a job um, interview skills just life skills budgeting finances I couldn't be where I am today if I didn't know all that knowledge it's just amazing like knowing how to um go when you, when I go grocery shopping um budgeting well, saving money. Um, uh, I think it was also when when I was before um, joining Second Story, it's just going to school was just, I couldn't imagine that ever happening. My situation is just making minimum wage. I didn't, ha- didn't make enough money to go to school. And then there's childcare. I just felt like I had no access to that. But once I was in Second Story, they helped me to save because we have diapers. There's clothing for my children. Um, they just opened so many doors for opportunities that are out there. And I just had to pursue them. And I, I didn't have any knowledge of the resources that are out there, but they've helped me to be an advocate for myself. Even today, um, applying to universities or if, uh, if there's a benefit I need, how to find resources that are out there. Um, yeah, it's just been so incredibly helpful. I couldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for um, Artemis House, Second Story, and just people investing in me and helping me to be where I wanted to be. I'm just no longer broken, um, low self-esteem. I'm able to identify unhealthy situations and have healthy boundaries with people and process, talk about any issues that come in a healthy way. My relationship with my mom is better too. So <laughs> That's great. I was wondering about that. That's really cool. I have one other question that I just thought of when you were saying that. Um, so Angel, I imagine that when you are going from this situation where you're just trying to survive, that when you are in a safe situation and you need to think about big goals, it would be hard to feel motivated, almost like your adrenaline hasn't calmed down from just trying to get day to day. Is that, do you see that being a harder transition more often for young women to think about the future when before it was just like, I just need to get to tomorrow? Yes. And I think, um, for most people in general, but definitely people who have experienced trauma and are just trying to be somewhere safe for them and their children, the thought about the future goals and what you want for your life, let's say in a year or five years, is very hard to think about when you're just thinking in the now and the present and how to stay safe or feed yourself or find a roof to put over your head. Um, so I definitely think that it is that is something that is a struggle. Um, I think the way that we do um, our individual service plans is a great way because we let the clients write down like what are their goals. The first 30 days, we only do 30 days. We don't want them to be overwhelmed. We understand they're coming in with a lot. So we just do the first service plan for 30 days. And usually that's, you know, kind of transitioning into the program, starting to apply for benefits and just start thinking about what 
what they want for themselves and their children. Um, so once that kind of gets processed, you know, they start meeting with their case manager and the therapist um, and then, you know, working on their goals. And we kind of break down what the steps would be to get to those goals because um, it helps sometimes just to see those little victories, right? It's the bigger goal, it might take a while to get to that. But as long as they can see that they're making progress and that this is something that they actually can do, uh, that they it builds their self-confidence and it also builds their self-sufficiency once they're able to start, you know, making income and starting to budget in a way, not just for survival skills, but because, hey, I have some money and I could, you know, get my hair done or I can buy, you know, some clothes for my child and not rely only on the program. I think that builds a lot of um, confidence for them. And and then they're able to see like this is something I can do and might broaden, you know, what those goals are that they want to work on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a lot like what you were just saying too, Brie. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Thank you guys both so much for being willing to do this. Thanks, Brie, for talking again about your story and Angel for giving us some of your time and your expertise <laughs> and for reconnecting the two of you. Definitely. That's really <laughs> yes, special. Yes, please. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Second Stories. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be so thankful if you rated our podcast and left us a review. Be sure to also hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. Second Stories is created and produced by Second Story with support from our technical director, Franklin Vaughn. Second Story is a nonprofit based in Northern Virginia that works to provide safe havens and opportunities to grow and thrive to youth in crisis and their families. Learn more about what Second Story does and how you can support us at second-story.org. We hope you'll join us next time.